So you got to watch, um, what's that movie, The Little Things? Yeah, yeah, with Denzel Washington, Jared Leto, uh, Rami Malek, I think his name is, right? Uh, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it wasn't. A, I wouldn't say a great film, but it was a good film. I I enjoyed the ending. It took some turns I didn't expect. Is it worth reviewing on the podcast? I knew that. Um, I've heard. Ref- I've heard it referred to as copaganda. Yeah, if you want to talk about how cops get away with shit and how you're programmed to cheer for them, we probably could review it on the podcast. Actually, yeah. I feel like um, uh, maybe we should have a whole copaganda month. Yeah, we could actually and just dissecting it and being like, "This is why this is a problem," or "This is what happens in real life," as opposed to what we see on screen. I know? think that would be good, you know. And, and like, without spoilers, I'll just say like, you know, just watching it, you're obviously supposed to be cheering for the cops, right? They're trying to hunt down a serial killer. That's that's kind of the point of the movie. But as you know, with most Hollywood films. And maybe it's not so untrue, but you see the cops really like not following the rules and doing things, you know, that they shouldn't. And it, all I could think was like, fuck, this happens <laughs> like in real life. This happens all the time. I heard that the screenplay was uh, written in the 90s and hasn't really been uh, touched up much. So it takes place in watching. the 90s. Well, OK, so, so there you go. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, I believe like it was kind of like stuck in that in that time and hadn't really been updated. I mean, at least it took place in the nineties. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I think it takes place so, in nineteen ninety. So like, I, at first I was like, <laughs> "What year does this take place?" Because like you're using payphones, and then I'm like, "Oh, oh, that that nineteen Because they tell you there's one character at nineteen ninety, but I thought it was like a flashback. I'm like, "Nope, that's that just happened." Okay, never mind. That's what happened with uh, Perks of Being a Wallflower, remember? Yeah. He, like, hands in this book report, and it's like, uh, fucking paper? What? He's writing on paper? Yeah. I mean, it's based on a book from the 90s, right? So, yep. you know, so that's, you that's exactly it. So, th- you you heard about all the GameStop stock stuff today, right? I heard about some of it, specifically through a couple of people I know personally. <laughs> um what do you got for me? Dude, stocks my, with tie. Me, 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 all right, so like it's a little personal, but uh, I I was have been following the Wall Street bets uh, Reddit because I wanted to get in on this shit, right? A, I want to make some money because fuck this country, I need it, and uh, B, because fuck Wall Street, I want to be a part of it. So uh, I've been following them, and they all they all, there was a big hearing over the weekend. Um, I forget his name off the top of my head, but he basically made like the most money off of the GameStop stocks and he had to appear before um, like a grand jury basically. And like, and uh, you know, they were questioning him about the stocks and like how legitimate it was. Um, The CEO of Robinhood had to go on, the CEO of Reddit. Uh, Long story short, you know, he went out like a fucking baller and just talked about how like, you know, it's time for people to be able to take back the power. And like, he's like, I like the stock. And after the hearing, he bought 50,000 more shares of GameStop stock just to be like, fuck you. Um, and he just made them look like shit. So they wound up ruining it. Robin Hood was in the wrong for, for like throttling people, not allowing them to buy GameStop stock. Um, so it was like a big victory. So the basically on, on the Reddit uh, post, everyone was like, fuck yeah, we're going after GameStop again this week. You know, be there, be square, like we're going to the moon. So like I got real hyped up, you know, a lot of people got hyped up. So we all bought GameStop stock on Monday and it really didn't move. It, it didn't do anything on Monday. Uh, didn't do anything on Tuesday. It dipped like a little bit, went up a little bit. Uh, and I bought it with my rent money. <laughs> so uh, rent's due well, on then. the first. And I was <laughs> like, 
well, fuck, I really need to get this money back because I got to pay my rent. And I was waiting for my tax refund and I was hoping it would come in this week. And it, it said next week and I'm like, fuck. So this morning I was like, whatever, I just got to fucking get out. So I sold all my shares of GameStop stock for exactly, almost exactly what I paid for. I think I lost like 30 cents. And um, I was like, whatever. And not an hour later, I get my tax refund. <laughs> And uh, I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, I didn't have to sell my stocks. I'm like, whatever. I go on my lunch break and I look at the stock and it's up to like $47. And I'm like, fuck, like it went up a few bucks. Like I could have actually made like $30 off that shit. Like whatever. I take a nap on my break because, you know, that's what I do. I wake up and it's a $53, right? And I'm half asleep still. So I'm like, oh, shit, it dropped down thinking it's $43. So I decide to buy a whole bunch of stocks again. And after I buy it, I'm like, oh, shit, it's at 53, not 43. And I'm like, well, fuck it. I'm in now. Uh, And then so, you know, the stock market closes at four. I decided to check right before it closed. And I'm like, holy shit, it's at $92. I'm like, well, well, that's wild. And uh, with at least with Robinhood, and I'm assuming most, I don't know a whole lot about stocks, but you know you can trade for about a half hour before or after the stock, mar- uh, stock market opens and closes. So it's like 4.10 and my coworker who's really into stocks is looking at it with me and it's up to like $116. And it's like going up to like 117, drops down to 114. It's like kind of like, you know, dipping like how stocks do. And he's like, sell, yeah, yeah. he's like, sell half your shares right now. And I'm like, what? He's like, Sell half your shares right now. If you sell half your shares, you guarantee you lose no money and you probably gain some money. He's like, you keep the rest. And if it keeps going up, you sell them tomorrow and you make even more money. But this way you guarantee to lose nothing. And I'm like, uh, uh, he's like, I'm telling you, do it, man. So I, I sold half my shares uh, and wound up winning back all the money that I lost and then some. And uh, right now it's sitting at, I think, $168. So it, it kept going. I actually hit $200 or $198 at one point. Uh, but this is all after hours, so you can't trade anyway. But um, yeah, I'm really I'm, I'm excited to see what happens tomorrow. It's kind of wild. I think even the Wall Street Bets guys were kind of taken by surprise that it happened so, so quickly. It happened like within the last hour of the stock market being open. Um, and in addition to that, AMC actually is up like 18%. Uh, Cost, which is, a, I think, like a headphone company, they're up uh, 50%. Uh, Express was up like 25%. So like all these these uh, stocks that Wall Street Bets has been talking about targeting shot the fuck up today. So uh, it's on. I don't know how long it's going to last, but the squeeze is happening. You heard it here first, folks, from the Wolf of Wall Street himself, co-host Ty. <laughs> um, if you do want some more information on that story, all you have to do is uh, go to your your search engine of choice and look up Keith Gill, also known as Roaring Kitty. Yes, he's um, the one that, the that I was mentioning earlier. investors from Wall Street Bets. Yeah, he's a baller. Now, uh, now speaking of individuals being able to take back the power instead of uh, you know continuing to be manipulated by a, by a fixed and capitalist system that allows for such a narrow margin of error when you happen to be a socioeconomically disadvantaged individual. Whoa. Do, uh, off the top of your head, how many new reviews do you think we have this week? Ooh, I'm going to say there's a zero in it. That is correct. Yes. Oh, man. <laughs> is it just a zero? That is also correct. What? Yes, dude. 
You have been here for a while. That's right. Since we do not have any new reviews, we're going to go into the theme music in a sec. But just so you know, if you want your name and review to be read at the top of the show, all you have to do is go to uh, Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review uh, telling us how much you love or hate the show. Make sure it's five stars, though. It really helps us out. Uh, and, um, and we'll read it at the top of the show just like we would have done now this could have been you and i I know some people personally who listen to this show so you better leave a review all right i'll find you he has a very particular set of skills (laughs) tyler is one of those skills bringing in the theme song it absolutely is bring it on in Welcome back to the Politipop Podcast, the podcast where we read between the lines of your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. I am your co-host, Mike Booch, a.k.a. Spider-Gram, a.k.a. Peter Podhead, and I am thrilled to be joined by my co-host, Ty. Hey, what's up? And at the top of the show, we'd like to remind you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, like our videos. You can email us at politipopcast at gmail.com and uh, find our show notes and sources at politipoppodcast.wordpress.com. Today, we are taking a step back from last month's uh, Black History Month spotlight, uh, which was informative and it was introspective. And- it was emotional. It was emotional, and um, as as I've already mentioned, uh, it was very um, dependent, if it, not intentionally, on on black trauma, as a lot of stories do tend to be, for better or worse, or because it's just impossible to tell a story about a person of color without it. Well, unfortunately, um, but- I think you know the history of black people, especially here in the United States, is full of trauma. You know, like we just. You, you can't really get away with it, uh, no matter what, what time period you're talking about. And today's movie takes us into more of a modern time period, and it is the first of three movies we're going to be doing this month that instead of focusing on black trauma, focus more on black triumph. And these stories, um, while they are about the black experience, they may not specifically be about that. And today's movie is one that holds a dear place in both of our hearts, I think Mm -hmm. it's fair to say. Uh, This is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. How how do you feel about this, Ty? Uh, It's probably one of my top ten films uh, today, I would say. I I love it. I could watch this movie literally over and over again. I think we just watched it like three weeks ago, right, Uh, over over a phone call and got to rewatch it last night. And it's uh, it's just great. Um, I would argue it's the best Spider-Man movie ever made and probably top three comic book movies ever made. Now, going into this movie, there was some controversy, as there tends to be with anything that uh, uh, has a non-traditional take. And that word is very, very uh, special. And we'll we'll expand upon that in a sec. But for lack of a better word, a non-traditional take on uh, beloved property. In this case, it was Spider-Man. They st- they were going to have Miles Morales, along with a bunch of other Spider-People in it, who aren't your typical uh, Peter Parker Spider-Man. And um, 
you know, there was obviously people blowing up online. Oh, this is just pandering and it's all it's forced diversity and all this other stuff. You know, a lot of it's amazing for so many people who gatekeep uh, to not realize how much their own hobby uh, or passion in some cases <laughs> is is rooted in uh, telling diverse stories. It, it's interesting to me that so many people were outraged about this film because this is not the first appearance of Miles Morales, right? He he came out in 2011, uh, was one of the first, I think, biracial heroes. Um, and it, there was a ton of outrage when he, when he took over. He took over when, when Peter Parker of the Ultimate Universe was killed and he became the new Spider-Man. Um, and I think he really took the comic book world by storm. He was really well-written, uh, really interesting, and you cared for him almost immediately. And uh, his, his Spider-Man run... Um, it's probably one of the best in history. I mean, it's one of the best Spider-Man stories I've read in the last probably 20 years, honestly. Like, I, I think it was, for a while, Ultimate Spider-Man was better than the regular Spider-Man line. So, um, you know, I, w- I would have thought people would have gotten over it by now. It's 2018. You know, Miles Morales had been around for a very long time and established himself as a, a very good character, a strong superhero. But, uh, nope, the uh, the people were still offended. So, uh What are you going to do about it? And while creator Brian Michael Bendis has written multitudes of characters by this point, uh, some original ones, some, uh, you know, for big name properties, uh, I think his run um, writing Miles is one of one of his most notable. And shortly right after that, you can correct me if my timeline is off, but he went to D.C. to write Superman almost right off of miles am i am i close in there or no um no no he wrote uh he wrote x-men for many years after after spider-man he did a he did a long stint on x-men which was uh it was mixed i'd say fans were mixed on it and then he left marvel to go to dc and do superman now you don't give superman to just any writer you know even you know, no, this has been a bit since he since he worked on Miles Morales. This was a huge move. I mean, they were they were pilfering one of Marvel's you know premier writers, uh, someone who had been you know top tier for them. They had given Spider Man, uh, Miles Morales, Spider Man, and you know X Men. He had been writing for all these years. You know, these are all like top Marvel characters now, and the fact that you know DC was able to grab him and they put him directly on Superman. They didn't ease him in. They didn't give him like you know. I don't know. Green Arrow. And then, you know, not that I don't love Green Arrow, but <laughs> Superman's like he top three for DC. Arrow, you know too. what I mean? And yeah. it, they yeah. threw him right in there. Uh, and Superman has, you know, uh, a tendency to not be the most popular character by a lot of people. And, he's you know, very difficult to write. Exactly. And, it, it, you know, I think it was a bold move for them to throw him onto there. But, um, you know, Bennis's Spider Man run is, is revered. You know, it's considered one of the best Marvel works, uh, you know, both his Miles Morales and Peter Parker work. So uh, it was a, it was a big move. Now, you had mentioned that Bendis also worked on X-Men, um, who uh, now I didn't read. I didn't read his X-Men run. I still have to read more of his uh, his stuff from Miles, honestly. But um, but the, the X-Men and a lot of Marvel characters have their roots in uh, in the immigrant experience. And I want to talk about that before we get into Spider-Verse specifically, because I really want to nip this whole diversity thing in the bud so we, we can get it over with. It's funny that you mentioned that, too, because Stan, I mean, even Stan Lee gave his blessing to Miles Morales, uh, who, you know, Stan Lee's literally the creator of Spider-Man, right? He's kind of like... Uh, 
considered kind of the, the father of Marvel. He helped create most of those characters that, that we know and love. Um, and, you know, he was even he even came out and said he was really happy to see, you know, a Spider-Man that represented, you know, the United States of today, you know, a, a different a different version, but something that people could still relate to. And I think, you know, if Stan Lee can approve of it and you claim you're a diehard comic book fan, you love Marvel, you love Spider-Man, you shouldn't complain then. I feel I feel like that's you know, it's there you go. Right. The, the guy himself is saying it's cool. And that puts a lot of pressure on the filmmakers themselves to really make this a comprehensive movie because you can see just by the the, the artistic nature of the film that this isn't specifically a, a, a black or diverse-centric story, but it is about somebody who who is from a, a, a background that's not just you know, a, a white male. It is, it is about a person of color. And they made it a point to show that this is a movie that is a, about a comic book character, that it is for comic book fans, regardless of which version of Spider-Man you like, that it is something that is faithful to the medium if you consider yourself to be a fan of it. Comic books in general are, at their core, an American art form. As in, uh, the American experience is so often shaped by uh, the narrative of immigrants. And you have so many comic book pioneers who were individuals who, who were trying to escape persecution as being Jewish Americans. And that's how you get characters like Spider-Man. That's how you get characters like the X-Men. The X-Men is an allegory for civil rights. Spider-Man, you have an individual who is insecure with himself every day and is able to put on a mask and become a different version of himself which which is the immigrant experience you have your own version of yourself who you are at home with your family and then you have a version of yourself you need to be to fit in with the rest of the world as you go outside this is what made marvel so popular i think right like this is what set them apart from dc was people you could relate to you know uh peter parker paid bills he went to school you know he he was late for things like you said uh the x-men were mistreated and they, they had a you know fight for their right to to exist and i think people reading these characters could really relate and that's what has always kind of set marvel apart uh, and made them so popular and it, it i think it is a regretful uh part of marvel's history that while they were at the forefront of a lot of um a lot of progressive moves in the comic book industry there's a documentary on disney plus i saw uh called behind the mask and they talk about um a bunch of different characters who were of diverse backgrounds who were gradually put into Marvel and they also talk about a lot of the people behind the scenes you know you had this woman who was an editor and became an artist you have this black man who 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 was a who was a writer there and um, like you did have a, a more diverse creator team behind Marvel and yet for the most part until a point you still had uh, a eurocentric view of these characters and right. um, and constantly Marvel was at odds with the comics code authority uh, trying to trying to push the end envelope here and trying to cross the line and um you know stan has said multiple times and whether or not you regard him as the father of marvel is a different story it's not a debate for this podcast we got to talk about king kirby um oh, we'll yeah. talk about him a little bit here because his his influence is all throughout comic books yeah. obviously i mean this but, film is dedicated to him actually so yeah so um but but stan has said multiple times that uh it's just 
sh- it's just showing the world around you. And just like you said, that was one of the best parts about Marvel Comics was these stories were relatable, but also it's because the world in which they took place in. It didn't take place in Metropolis. It didn't take place in Gotham City. The Avengers come from New York. Uh, you know, Captain America is from Brooklyn. Spider uh, Peter Parker's from Queens. Miles is from Brooklyn. Like, you know, these. Th- this is as real as it gets. So if you are upset that a comic book is about characters who are based in New York is showing a diverse group of people, that's on you because that's just how the world is. You can't take a train in New York City pre-COVID. I don't know what it's like post-COVID, haven't since. But um, <laughs> you, know, you can't take a train in New York City and not see 30 different types of people sitting on one bench. Like, Yeah. I would also follow up by saying that creating a story about otherness and creating a story centered around somebody who doesn't fit who doesn't fit the mainstream uh, narrative that that is the most traditional thing you can do in comics because once again as an american art for as an american art form it is a story about immigration it is a story about being othered and it comes from having different colored skin not just having superpower yeah well said now that we have that out of the way there's a full spoiler warning in effect um that's right my spoiler sense is tingling and uh (laughs) and (laughs) if you have not seen spider-man into the spider-verse it's been a few years since it's been out at this point but uh please see it before you listen to this podcast um there are going to be some detailed plot spoilers and some we just reference random shit you may have to actually watch the movie to know but either way there's a spoiler warning in effect and ty at your earliest convenience can you please give our lovely listeners the plot spider-man into the spider-verse teen miles morales becomes the spider-man of his universe and must join with five spider-powered individuals from other dimensions to stop a threat for all realities now, speaking of all realities, I also want to talk about people looking from the outside in on our reality of comic books. I was looking up some uh, some different reactions to, to Into the Spider-Verse, and one recently, uh, it came out 10 months ago. Uh, somebody was viewing it for uh, academia and talking about stereotypes and how this film uh, either breaks some stereotypes uh, and apparently reinforces some stereotypes. And, um, you know, for, for the most part, it was, it was it was very well done, but you could tell it was done by somebody who um, wasn't um, very well versed on the characters. Just, you know, OK, I saw this movie once or twice mm. and I'm going to apply an analysis to it. But one thing and for and for the most part, it was it was actually a pretty great analysis, especially from somebody, uh, you know, looking in from the outside. Um, but another, but one of the things they mentioned was that uh, a negative stereotype of Miles was that he loved doing graffiti. You know, he's a young black kid who likes doing illegal stuff, and he doesn't like school. I had to make it a point to comment uh, on this <laughs> on this video as the podcast, you know, and very respectfully, you know, just saying uh, what I'm basically going to say now, and that's that. So similar to comic books being an American art form, so too is hip hop. And obviously not every black person is hip hop, but if you were if you were a black person in America, you're your um I would say even more so if you're an Afro-Latino person in in the United States, then your experience is is very specifically um intertwined with hip hop. 
hip hop has four basic elements. You have uh, DJing or turntabling. You have breakdancing. You have the spoken word, which is obviously where like you know rapping comes from, and you have graffiti. Uh, which is which is another part of it. So the whole culture itself, it doesn't, it's not just a music genre, is what I'm trying to say. And that uh, Miles embodying some of that is actually a version of authenticity, as we do see a lot of it in this film. He's a kid from Brooklyn, right? I mean, the hip hop yeah. scene in New York <laughs> is huge. Like, like that, it, it's a huge part of the culture, I think. And I don't think that rings untrue at all that that he would be, you know, into that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That that definitely makes sense. Yeah, they also said that he didn't like school, and I'm like, well, you know, like, you know, once again, upon another viewing or two, you might have realized that he's actually very academically inclined, if not uh, gifted or talented, uh, you know, and they show how, how, how smart he is at school, but he doesn't like that school because he feels that it's elitist. Yeah, he wants to be with his friends. He wants to be in a public school with all the kids he knows, and, you know, it doesn't have to follow these the strict, uh, you know, guideline for what he has to wear and stuff. I mean, I think that's a pretty normal reaction for a kid, especially coming from a public school and going to a private school. Following that idea, Miles is questioning his own authenticity. Uh, now, he because he says he wants to be among the people, which, you know, points Miles for a very uh, Fred Hampton way to look at things. Uh <laughs> You know, but he he says he wants to be among the people. He he qualified for this for this spot, but believes that he still got it by chance. That it was a lottery. He doesn't deserve to be there. Uh, we talked a bit about imposter syndrome in a few other episodes, but here I think we see it's a huge part of Miles's character that uh, not only does he feel that he doesn't belong at this school, which by the way is a very culturally diverse school. Yeah. And here's another case in which the the filmmakers get it right here. It's a matter of Miles, yes, while being a person of color is a very strict part of his identity, like, yeah, this is a pretty diverse area he's in. He's feeling othered here for for different reasons. And as we find out later in the movie, he ends up feeling very othered because he, he gets spider powers. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a, there's a great moment, right, where he's uh, he's walking down the street and he runs into all these kids he knows from school. They have, like, secret handshakes and he's, like, making jokes and saying hi to everybody. And it's clear he's very popular. He has a lot of friends. People like him. You know, and then he gets to his new school and he tries the same exact thing. Like, he makes jokes to the kids. He tries to start a conversation. And everyone just kind of gives him, like, looks like what you know why are you talking to me so i think you know that was a great way to show just how different he feels being in the school where you know the things that he would normally do and say just aren't working right now another thing i want to bring up is uh we spoke about this when we were discussing uh spider-man homecoming your first appearance on the podcast what? Go, go listen to episode seven and oh boy. listen to my horrible uh production quality i was so nervous i i didn't know how to talk so <laughs> don't judge me <laughs> Uh, but one thing we did agree on, uh, if I if I remember correctly, was that the story of Spider-Man isn't inherently, and specifically Peter Parker too, it's an, it's not inherently a white story. He's no. a kid in Queens who lives with his aunt, grows up from a broken family, has trouble paying bills and stuff. Like you know, a white kid isn't the first person, especially nowadays, who would come to mind when when you think of that. Yeah, I agreed. I mean, I think. A lot of his story, you know, might uh, speak to a New Yorker or just, you know, a, a teen or young adult in the United States. But it, I don't think, you know, color has, or race has anything to do with it. I think you could kind of make him anything, right, and, and or anybody, and he would still be 
He would still be Peter Parker. He'd still be Spider-Man. And I think... Um, and that's not what they tried to do here, right, with Miles Morales. Like, they didn't try to do that with the comic or the film. They didn't try to replace Peter Parker with an exact replica of Peter Parker, who's, you know, half black and half Puerto Rican. He's his own person. But I, I think what they're trying to get to is, you know, just the way you could you could see yourself being Peter Parker, there are tons of kids that could see themselves being Miles Morales. And, you know, he still deals with real-life issues and concerns. Uh, you know, like... How do you talk to your father when you guys just don't seem to get along? You know, how do you fit into a new school? You know, these are the kind of things that that people deal with in everyday life, and they purposely try to go that route with with Miles Morales. And, and we do see that a little bit with Peter too. That when we do see Peter Parker in the film, he's still dealing with things that that people you know in everyday life have to deal with as well. And I think this movie's kind of for anybody. You know, you you can find someone to relate to, something to relate to, no matter what your background is. Yeah, you can relate to a character who may not be Miles or Miles plus multiple characters in this film. Yep. Something I didn't really notice the first couple times I saw this but but noticed recently is that they very specifically make it Miles film. Like it's yeah. actually a while before they introduce Peter B and it's not just Miles as in story-wise like it is but also everything around the the film the characters surrounding him the music the soundtrack everything really tells you like this is Miles's world we're going to put a lot of other people into it but at the end of the day it is going to be his story and i think that 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 is a very conscious effort uh, made, and you know, because th- this could be a white savior story, like so many others fall into the very easy trap of becoming one, even if you're well be a uh, well meaning. Right. So you know, I, you mentioned it earlier. An important part of of Miles' identity is that he is Afro Latino, right? Uh, he is his mom's Puerto Rican, his dad is black, and you know, while that's not the focus of the story. I think it's it's an important representation to, to see. You don't really see that too often. Um, and, and, you know, I, I have a little bit here, an article about Afro-Latinos that I think uh, we'll put in the show notes that is pretty interesting. I'll just read a little bit of it. Uh, Afro-Latino, a deeply rooted identity among U.S. Hispanics. Ide- identity for U.S. Hispanics is multidimensional and multifaceted. For example, many Hispanics tie their identity to their ancestral countries of origin, Mexico, Cuba, Peru, or the Dominican Republic. And they also look to their indigenous yeah. roots. Yeah. Among the many ways Hispanics see their identity is their racial background. Afro-Latinos are one of these Latino uh, identi- identity groups. They are characterized by diverse views of racial identity, reflecting the complex and varied nature of race and identity among Latinos. Um, in the U.S., Latinos with Caribbean roots are more likely to identify as Afro-Latino or Afro-Caribbean than those with roots elsewhere. Those that identify as Afro-Latinos are more concentrated on the East Coast and in the South than other Latinos. Um, and basically, a lot of this comes down to, unfortunately, uh, slavery, right? Um, basically... Everything does. Yeah, yes. you know, it, they, <laughs> it actually says here in the article that in Latin America's colonial period, about 15 times as many African slaves were taken to Spanish and Portuguese colonies than to the U.S. today. Um, about 130 million people of African descent live in Latin America, making up roughly a quarter of the total population. So, you know, slavery was was not just here in the U.S. You know, we, we do mention how it's such a such a uh, disgusting but important you know piece of our history to remember and talk about. But you know, this is this is a world world issue that happened, and uh, you know, again, the Portuguese and and the Spanish were involved in slavery quite a bit, and. 
And uh, I mean, you're you're Dominican, right? So I mean, technically, you're you're Afro Latino. Yeah, that's where all my um, African stuff on my DNA test results comes from. It comes from the Dominican Republic because yes, that you know the island of Hispaniola was where Columbus uh, landed and. Um, he started the transatlantic slave trade. So that's how you get a bunch of African slaves coming to Latin American colonies. And that's how, yeah, the island of Hispaniola, you have, you know, what became the Dominican Republic and what became Haiti. Like the the, the experiences of uh, individuals of African descent, individuals of Latino descent are intertwined uh, in the United States. Yeah. And, you know, this article does mention that um, a lot of people of that descent don't necessarily consider themselves Afro-Latino, you know, they don't really consider themselves black, but, you know, Miles is very specifically Afro-Latino, you know, again, his mother is Puerto Rican, his father's black, Um, and being, you know, such a, probably not a very represented group, um, I found an article that said, what Latino critics are saying about Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse, and I thought there was some really interesting stuff here. Um, with a close to 100% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, Spider-Man to the Spider-Verse has pulled in an avalanche of rave reviews and even Oscar buzz. Missing from the piles of critical acclaim is a voice of Latino critics, and in particular, Afro-Latinos. Since the first big screen appearance for Miles Morales, an combo character with African-American and Puerto Rican roots, we took it upon ourselves to remedy this. Knowing that Latinos are vastly underrepresented on the staff list of mainstream film outlets, reach out to a handful of critics who provide their take on this animated tale. So I'm just going to read the one review because I thought it was really good. Uh, in drawing from the hand-drawn aesthetic that comic books have embraced for decades, the creators behind Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse infuse their take on a beloved figure with much-needed freshness, distinctly reminiscent of classic Avengers printed on paper. The feature, co-directed by Bob Persichi, uh, Peter Ramsey and Rodney Rothman stands out as the most visually groundbreaking studio animated offering of the year. Its relentlessly inventive design coincides with the revamped identity of the web-spewing hero. Now incarnated by Miles Morales, voiced by Shamik Moore, an Afro-Latino team from Brooklyn who is bilingual, bicultural, and a talented graffiti artist. The lead Spider-Man in this story more accurately reflects the changing face of American society. Furthermore, Miles as a person of color doesn't come from a broken home. His parents are educated professionals. He's proud of who he is and where he comes from. It's twice as revolutionary and transcendent as the decision not to use photorealistic look for the animation. In turn, the other five iterations of the character to join Miles expand the core concept of inclusion and uh, democratization of Spider-Man. There's a brilliant Spider-Woman, an Asian girl who manipulates a spider in a robotic suit, and even a comically clever cartoon pig that is far from being a traditionally imposing hero. Peter Parker is here, but not as the fanboys might expect him to be. He is a flawed and washed-up white dude whose actions have actually had some consequences. A risk-taking venture on multiple levels. What are the, the spider, chances? Right? Sorry. I know. I know. Whose actions have consequences? Like what? A risk-taking venture on multiple levels into the Spider Verse is not solely concerned with appeasing the hordes of devoted Marvel-obsessed audience members, but earnestly attempts to invigorate a type of movie that has increasingly become tiresome. It does so not only from a technical standpoint, but also by toppling monolithic visions of who gets to be a hero. The sole existence of Miles Morales in the Marvel Universe was a win in the fight for representation. But to have him star in one of the best-reviewed, bound-to-be-hit movies of the year, that's true change, as millions of people this weekend will see him wear the iconic mask with a twist this weekend by Carlos Aguilar. 
Um, wow, that was back when people could go to theaters. That's sad. Uh, <laughs> I don't remember the before four. I don't know what you're talking. What, what was about. that? But yeah, I, I felt that was really good. You know, it, it's uh, that, that's a Latino person kind of talking about the film and how important it is. And uh, I think he touched on some really good points that you know Miles does not come from a broken home. Um, you know, he's he's happy with who he is. He's bilingual. Um, you know, we we see the one main white character in the movie is kind of a mess. And that's okay, you know. He Peter Parker's kind of always been a bit of a mess, I think. Um, and the, at the same time, they don't they don't make you feel like there's not again not a character you can relate to. And I think uh, you know it's again good to have that representation. It's not done just to do it. You know, it's it's a re- it's really well handled, um, and you know the film does a great job. You know, d- making you appreciate Miles uh, while also appreciating the other Spider characters in the film. Yeah, they make it a point to have all of these characters connect on on a level just through being Spider-Man. You know, like there really is no like what is a what is a you know, a 40 something uh washed up white guy have in common. I think he's only like 38. Black... Oh, is he? Okay, sorry. Yeah. What is a 38 um <laughs> what is a 38 washed up white guy have in common with a teenage uh, you know, black and latino kid? And yet, you know, it, it, it really goes together seamlessly. Um, one thing I want to mention from that review is they said that Miles represents the ever-changing face of America. And that's something I want to call out because we spoke a couple weeks ago with my cousin Moni about, or Moni, sorry, about um, decolonizing our minds. And I think that that right there is a perfect example of it because while, yes, this is like a, you know, a great representation of Latinos in the mainstream, um, we've been here. Like, right. it's not a changing face. It's changing in media, which which shows once again why diversity and, and representation is important and done the right way and not just ham-fisted because overall that does – I think that does a disservice. I mean, I, I think it's more than that, though. I think what they're talking about is, you know, hip-hop being mainstream, uh, graffiti, you know, like people, you know, just being a different – culture then you know if you you were in the 1950s new york you wouldn't have any of that so i do think in a way that is that is accurate that it's changing that you know things are are becoming acceptable that should have been already they're becoming more popular um so miles more than just his ethnicity you're saying in all parts of his character including all of his hobbies and everything he embodies the way he dresses that that is also coming into the mainstream along with him absolutely and i think that was a filmmaker's intention i think they were like any kid that you know uh, today could relate to that. They you know they're they're into the the same kind of music. They could be into the same kind of interests and, and you know hobbies and the way they talk. And I think that's 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 great. It's a great representation of of all kids. And you know Miles just happens to be you know biracial. And that is the point of Spider Man. And not to completely spoil the ending, but you know, at the uh, after or just before the credits, after the movie ends, uh, they have a little dedication to Steve Ditko and Stan Lee, creators of Spider Man. And they, you know, they say like, "Thank you." I'm paraphrasing, like, "Thank you for letting us know, letting us know we weren't the only ones." And that's what this movie is all about. It's about saying like, you can be from any background 
and still relate to to others find a common ground no matter how small it is because fuck this is our whole friendship isn't it right yeah. like like you like spider-man is about the struggle spider-man it, it depends on what you want to look at but spider-man is a hardship as fun as it is to be spider-man you can take whatever you want and insert it into the narrative spider-man being spider-man is about um you know, about having a job that you don't want to have. Being Spider-Man is about having trauma you don't want to have. Being Spider-Man is about, you know, the great expectations that you don't want yeah. to have. Like, Disappointing your loved ones, right? I mean, this is, this yeah. is these are things that that is so inherently Spider-Man. It's what's always made him, I think, uh, you know, arguably the most popular Marvel character, one of the greatest combo characters of all time. These are just, these are real things that people deal with. And uh, you know, the way he's represented and written in the comics and movies, it's never easy, right? It's never it's never being this this great hero and everyone loving you. It's 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 constant struggle. And that's what we find out in this movie when we we see Miles's imposter syndrome, you know, throughout throughout the whole time he's saying like, you know, I don't know what to do. I need to be taught. Meanwhile, you have someone like Peter who when he was the first Spider-Man, he was just like, ah, fuck it, I'm winging it. I'm taking it by the seat of my pants. And <laughs> and I think that that's another important part of this film that people don't realize. And this could be with anything. Like I said, it could be any struggle that the Spider-Man suit represents to you. What really ties this all together is that this film is telling you, no matter what your difference is, lean into that there are other people who also have those differences and by leaning into your differences that's how you're you're actually going to fit in every other place because it's not about fitting in it's about being confident in who you are and we see that with all of the other spider people who come in despite their literal glitching they fit into this dimension because they choose to because they know who they are and you know gwen didn't find out who she was by doing uh by doing uh you know the rock band and everything that was you know part of it um but she found out who she was by being a spider person peter and penny and other peter and and other peter they all found out <laughs> who they were because he was peter porker yes. they all found out who they were by by being spider-man and i think that that's a great message of this film it's just you know no matter what your difference is no matter what your passion is you lean into it and you will find a community and it is their responsibility to help you and your responsibility to help those who come after you in my opinion um you know, and that's that's another thing that I am reading from from this film. But um, I, I really I really enjoyed that theme that guess what? Everybody feels like they're not good enough. Yeah, exactly. And it's it's up to you to create your own value. What really blew me away was how complete of a spider story this was, um, because, yeah, we, we see that this is Miles's world, but they they take all these Spider-Man and put them in and really embody the character of Spider-Man, really embody the, you know, I'm going to get the shit kicked out of me and I'm going to get back up whether or not I know better. And I, I really loved seeing that spread across all these different worlds. And, you know, especially that scene after uh, Aaron, Uncle Aaron is shot and you know, they all tell Miles, you know, this is the part they forgot in the spider layer before they tell him, like, this is part of the job. Like, you can't save everybody. Yeah, I mean, they all mention how, you know, what made them them was was losing someone that was so important to them, right? But they still pushed on. They still stayed the hero. And, you know, there's even a, a training montage where they're all kind of beating up on Miles and they're talking about how you just got to get up, right? Like, that's, that's what makes you Spider-Man. You keep getting up. And, you know, do, do you have what it takes? And, 
you know, they're, they're a little mean to him. And at first he doesn't think he has what it takes. But, you know, once he gets the courage to, he finally proves that he belongs with them just as much, if not more, than, than they all do. And that courage uh, comes from a lot of different people. Another thing that I liked, you know me, the way that I was raised, uh, I do believe in the whole theory of it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah. And, you know, that's what we see here. We see that Miles is getting the rough love from his father, uh, Jefferson. He's, you know, he's getting uh, the more nurturing stuff from from his mom. Um, he's, you know, he's he, he's getting... Uh, you know, street, uh, you know, streetwise and and fun fun advice from his uncle Aaron, and then of course all the spider people come in as as his mentors as well, and and they they really kind of kind of help complete complete him and and not him specifically, but you know help him f- put everything together and be like, all right, this is what my version of Spider Man is supposed to be. Yeah, and, and those relationships are really well done, I think, in the film. Uh, him and his mom, unfortunately, they don't spend as much time on. You, know, you can tell that she loves I hope loves they do him. in the sequel. That'd be cool. Yeah. I mean, she's really uh, a pretty important part in the comics, some stuff that goes on with her. But, like, you know, it, it's just, uh, you know, his relationship with his dad. Like, his dad's not afraid to tell him he loves him, right? But at the same time, they definitely don't see eye to eye on a lot. You know, um, I don't know if we mentioned it, but his father's a cop, right? And we did not mention, you know, that. and no. that's that that's an interesting perspective, right? Being a black person, uh, being a police officer, you know, we've, we've talked uh, to death about, you know, about the police and, and, and all that in this podcast. But, you know, there's even a part where Miles is, is like tagging signs with stickers and his dad catches him, you know, and he he's driving, you know, and he, he obviously Miles likes to do things. He likes to he likes to create art. He likes to do graffiti. These are things that cops don't allow. Um, there's even a great part where he's embarrassed because all these kids he knows are, are seeing him in the cop corner. He's like, don't cops run red lights? And his dad goes, oh, yeah, you know, some do, but not your dad. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's clear his dad's, <laughs> yeah. his dad's a good guy, right? He, he thinks he, he's a good cop, you want to say. You know, he, he follows the rules. He's not going to break them because, he, you know, he has power. But there's definitely, like you said, that tough love. And throughout the film, they kind of go into that relationship. There's times where, you know, Miles is looking for someone to turn to. And he, he thinks about talking to his dad and he never does. He never chooses to. And then, you know, uh, his dad keeps yelling at him because he, he runs away from school on point because he's really scared. And, you know, the mom keeps backing him up. And, and the dad just keeps kind of giving that tough love. His dad hates Spider-Man. You know, Miles loves Spider-Man, and you know that scares him later on when he becomes Spider-Man. So there's a lot Remember, of issues even there. Remember, the best cop you know will still arrest Spider-Man. That's right. How Keep fucked up is that? <laughs> How fucked up is that? God. Um, <laughs> and you know, and his dad kind of has that realization later on that maybe he hasn't he hasn't been connecting with his son the way he needs to. And, you know, he comes to his dorm room and he has that really heartfelt speech. And then, you know, finally at the end, like there's a little bit of, you know, they're going to they're going to kind of make up. And his dad even cheers Spider-Man on, not realizing it's his own son. And that's kind of beautiful. You know, uh, Miles didn't have to reveal his his identity to to do that. He just had to show what he was what what he was willing to do, like what he you know, that he had the courage to stand up and save the city. And that really impressed his dad. And, you know, you, you see that. And, and again, you know, his uncle Aaron is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum, right? He is a criminal. He's the prowler, right? It's a big twist. He's, he's been working for the Kingpin. He helped kill uh, the Spider-Man of this universe, Peter Parker of this universe. And 
Miles is so close with his uncle. He feels like he can talk to him about anything. He's the first person he goes to, but he can't reach him. He can't get him because he's not ever available because he's out committing crimes, right, for Kingpin. He's prowling, bro. He's, he's prowling. professional prowling. And he yeah. literally tries to kill Miles several times. But uh, when push comes to shove, when he realizes that he is trying to kill Miles, that you know this little spider kid is, is his nephew, he doesn't do it because he loves him. And I don't think he would ever hurt him. And he pays for it with his life. Uh, and he has that really heartfelt speech, too, where, you know, he says to him, like, I-, I wanted to be a role model to you, and I let you down, man. And he's like, you know, you're the best of us. Just you're on the right path and keep on going. And then he dies, you know, and that's that's his last words. And he wants Miles to know he's proud of him, that that he is doing the right thing. You know, they may have been on opposite sides of this battle, but at the end of the day, his uncle's still happy with the path that, you know, Miles has taken. Um, and, and those relationships are so important. And of course, and then Peter B. Parker, right? The, the, he, the Spider-Man who kind of mentors him the most because the Peter Parker of this universe dies before he gets a chance to. And, you know, Peter B. Parker is a very broken man. He's, his marriage ended, his aunt died, you know, he's been injured numerous times. He's out of shape. He's depressed. He's, he's just a mess. And I think Miles re- really kind of brings something out in him, uh, you know, Peter mentions that he was scared of having kids and yet he's really good with Miles. You know, he really, he, he, they have a great relationship. He teaches them a lot. They have a great back and forth. And again, these, all these kind of relationships that he forms do make him the hero he is at the end. Now, while this is an amazing character breakdown, it's time to go full Politipop podcast here and shoehorn in a theme. Um, I, what this relationship said to me upon previous uh, upon more recent watchings was it kind of reminded me of uh, of the boomer generation versus uh you know gen x and gen z um or or millennials right sorry there's one in between uh versus gen <laughs> x and millennials specifically how you know like we were talking off mic the other day how credit scores are as old as we are like you know people were able to fucking get cars houses everything else and then in 1989 they said we're going to do credit scores and fuck it we're going to close the door to so many other future generations being able to have what we have and we see i think spider-man despite being 38 years old does represent that that older you don't have to say boomer specifically but he represents the older generation you know you could even say late stage capitalism as in like you know even though he was doing something that he thought was amazing being spider-man it has led to all the worst things in in his life but maybe it was just the way that he was doing it you know when he's able to to help miles to help the next generation have access to what he had access to he finds the best version of himself yeah uh you know so when we do talk about mutual aid and about you know carrying the torch and 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 carrying the fight with 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 next generations as we have in in other uh podcasts you know this this carries that similar theme but not just you know what maybe it's up to the future to find a nuanced way to do things a new whether it's a nuanced way to be spider-man or it's a nuanced way to be Miles, you know, he gets to combine the best parts of his uncle and his father together and his mother in order to create his character. I, I do agree with that. I disagree with the boomer aspect. I think I think Peter B. Parker is a really good example of millennials. I think a lot of millennials are kind of stuck in that uh, bet- between, you know, two different worlds <laughs> like he literally is where, you know, we're, we're kind of known for being depressed, right? We're known for being overwhelmed by by bills, uh, by by life issues, by you know we're we're not really having kids, 
Just if like you could Peter's... stop talking about me specifically, <laughs> I would greatly appreciate this breakdown. Right? I mean, uh, like he yeah, does, he doesn't you know want to have you kids. Actually, yeah, you're absolutely right. As, as soon as you said, like, I think he represents money, I'm like, you know what? He totally fucking does represent. He, you know, he does, and like, <laughs> I think he has that hope and deep down inside him for a better world that he would be willing to take part in it. But he's scared. He's been hurt so many times. And I think that's what millennials are all about. You know, we're not the ones that are ushering in kind of this this new world, so to speak. I think the Gen Z kids have been much more, you know, adamant about fighting racism and about, you know, fighting for, for equal, you know, rights for everyone and fighting against capitalism. Um, we're but, the exhausted ones. Yes, exactly. You know, we're there. We're you know? cheering them on. We want to be a part of the fight, but we're just so tired and beaten down. Uh, and I think that's where Peter falls. You know, he wants to be a part of this. And, you know, he, I'm sure he wants to train Miles, but at the same time, you know, he's seen so many people be hurt. He's been hurt, and he's just so hesitant to do that. And in in meeting all these other spider people, because that's the other thing, too. He's the oldest of this group, but up to this point, he has still been the only spider person. Um, as far as I know, I don't know what Noir's situation is. So he's been at this for a while, and it is easy to get broken down and get tired and be like, listen, this is pointless. Uh, but he gets that 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 new in, injection of life by helping Miles. And I think that's just something we should all remember, you know, that that we can help the next generations. And in doing so, and even if it's not the next generation per se, even if it's just mutually finding other people who 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 share similar ideals of of helping people you know that that you can find solidarity that way i don't want you to be listening and be like you know what you're right i need to find other white supremacists and you know together we're gonna feel like you know <laughs> anyone can wear the hood you know <laughs> yeah definitely not that but no to enact change yeah. i think not only can you but you should right like we should support them i think uh, the Black Lives Matter movement was a great example. You know, there was a lot of young, young people organizing those movements, 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, you know, the, in that range. And, and I think you did see a lot of different people go out there and march and a lot of millennials did join that movement. And, you know, maybe we didn't necessarily have the strength to, to really bring it to the forefront, but if we can help guide it and support it and be there, I think that's that's so important, and I think we all have to remember, you know, as tough as things have been on us, and as tough as, you know, uh, our future may look, we we it's not over yet, right? We can we can still work together, we can still make change, uh, and I think we can we can really break the system and, and make a better one. Now, speaking of Black Lives Matter, uh, I just got the Black Lives Matter uniform. Uh, spoilers for anyone, sorry, it's a little late. Uh, in the in the Miles Morales video game. On PlayStation. Did you know they had one? Um, I had heard something, but I haven't gotten too far in the game, so I didn't see it I myself. didn't know, but it's it's pretty awesome. Once you finally... It's like a you get it after completing a bunch of side missions. And um, once you do... It's also like on a building, too, I think. Like, it's painted somewhere that you can it, see. This is that mission. So at the end of it, they're like, oh, okay, like okay. we took care of all this stuff in our community. Come, you know, to this address. And so when you do, there's this huge Black Lives Matter mural on the side of a wall and a box that has... Um, 
a black and yellow suit, which are the colors nice. of Black Lives Matter. And it says uh, it's That's called awesome. the, the Uptown Pride suit. But you know damn well what it is. Like literally uh, Spider-Man looks at the camera with Black Lives Matter behind him on the building. <laughs> so Hell yeah. That's yeah, awesome. So it's very. And once again, that's like one of those moments where because you and I always talk where like whatever, like they did this shit. It doesn't mean anything. You know, whatever. Are they changing policy? And then I saw this. I was like, what the Black Lives Matter uniform for Spider-Man? And I was like, God damn it, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that's different, though. You know what I mean? I mean, they're not politicians. They can't directly change anything. But I think it's a ballsy move to put it in your Spider-Man game when, when you know a bunch of uh, white dudes are going to be like, what the fuck? In my Spider-Man? <laughs> I don't want that well, shit. You know, I thought that for a sec. I was like, wow, a lot of like conservative comic fans are pissed. And I'm like, wait, how many even bought this game? Like, it specifically says Miles Morales yep. on the front. So. Uh, but so it's who knows. Spider-Man. Um, but yeah, I, I I did I did like that. Um, oh, by the way, did you know that uh, Noir Spider-Man Noir talks like Joe Biden? Um. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was going for uh, the hell the was gum he going shoe, for the, Humphrey Bogart? Yes, yeah, but but that's kind of funny. To think well, about. I mean, kind of both though, because they're I guess they're of the same time. Because at one point he's beating up Tombstone and he calls him a turtle slapper, and I was like, that sounds like he could have called him a pony soldier, which is a Joe Bidenism, and it would have been the same fucking thing. Is that all you got? You're gonna body you just pump a gum, you hard boiled turtle slapper. Um. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, it's funny. Uh, man, uh, I think... Uh, oh, one more thing I wanted to talk about with this movie was... Uh, me, personally. You can talk about whatever you need to talk about. Um, was that um, it is a kid's movie, but it doesn't shy away from adult themes. And I think that that is something that's important. Uh, and I it, it should yeah. be present in more media today. Now, I'm not watching a lot of kids' shows, so I'm not sure how present or not present it is. Um, but I believe it was Dan Green, the uh, voice actor of Yugi and Yu-Gi-Oh!, who who said in an interview that like cartoons should have mature stuff in them. Obviously they shouldn't be like you know like HBO level stuff if it's meant for kids, but you shouldn't shy away from things like death or violence necessarily because these are things that children have to deal with on a daily basis anyway in real life. Yeah, don't glorify them, but but put them, you know. Exactly. They are they are important themes to yeah. understand. And like, you right? know, Miles' uncle gets shot and dies in his arms. Like that's pretty terrible. Kingpin slaughters Spider-Man in front of him, right? He kills Peter Parker. Yeah, and this is uh and we also find out that Kingpin's family died in a car crash. Which is the whole reason he's trying to bring them back and does the whole Spider-Verse thing. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, I mean also you, if you want to look at Kingpin's character too, you see a you know, depending on which origin they go with, he's the privileged white male who will stop at nothing to get what he wants and risks a bunch of other people. Yeah. Like he is like, you know, the corporatist. I'm going to wait till uh till we get a a tweet thread saying like actually let me tell you about why wilson fisk isn't the <laughs> isn't worth his way Musk. out from the bottom yes. depending on which version of wilson fisk you are talking about he worked in a coal mine for 17 <laughs> years and saved everyone's lives in there wilson fucking fisk <laughs> i will say watching this film i never felt like it was a kid's movie and, like, I think there's nothing wrong with adults enjoying kids' movies. I watch Disney films still, right? Pixar movies. But I never felt like this was a kids' movie. It just felt like a good movie. You know, I feel like it was it was just well-balanced for, for pretty much anyone. Really? I, I agree 100%. Yeah. Did you notice the Uncle Aaron rest in power at the end? That's what it said when they graffitied? I did notice that, yes. Uh, 
Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool that they put that. The last thing I wanted to discuss was just this meta theme, you know, because we've been talking about it the whole time of like, you know, this is anybody's story. And, you know, if you want to take a comrade approach to it, right, it's like, oh, Spider-Man's not your story. It's our story. You know, yeah. um, we are Spider-Man. Yes, we are. And Spider-Man is that working class hero. Like we, you know, we can all connect through that working class struggle, similarly to how they all connect uh, through through being a spider person. And I want to read this quote from Miles's uh, closing monologue. Yeah. Where he says. I had that quote too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to read the whole thing, only the one part. But he says, uh, and when I feel alone, like no one understands what I'm going through, I remember my friends who get it. I never thought I'd be able to do any of this stuff, but I can. Anyone can wear the mask. You could wear the mask. If you didn't know that before, I hope you do now. Because I'm Spider-Man, and I'm not the only one, not by a long shot. And, um, you know, it's getting tears from me now. It gets tears from me every time I hear it, because I, I feel that's kind of like an apology for the gatekeeping that's been put up through so many years, because it's like, listen, anybody can wear the mask. And if you didn't know that before, now you know. You know that this is your hero, and that you have a place in this world, because it's always been your world. It shouldn't have been taken over by... You know, by Eurocentric view viewpoints and and by hateful people, um, and by that I really mean the fandom more so than the creators. But uh, you know, but it's all over, and um, you know that that right there was um, that's the whole film for me. If you didn't know that before, I hope you do now. You know, that's my favorite part of it. What else did you have, Ty? <laughs> oh, man, I don't know if I can follow that up. I mean, it's Jesus. You shed tears for this I one, really, man. I really did. That that'll that, that gets me every time. Spider Man is. No, nah, I think hero, I, I agree. He is, and I think, it, like you said, it's awesome that now everyone, everyone can can see him as 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 them as their hero, someone like them that they can look up to, and that's that's freaking awesome. You know what I mean? And. And I do want to point out, they didn't take anything away from Peter Parker. They didn't take anything away from, from white dudes, right? Like, uh, the Peter Parker of his world was was absolutely genius, this great hero. They have a beautiful memorial to him when he dies. You know, it turns out that uh, he had, like, all this great tech and everything and all these different suits. And, you know, Peter B. Parker is, you know, a really lovable and relatable character. You know, he's... He's really, really well written. He's funny, and and you know his struggle to you know rekindle his romance with his wife, and you know coming to terms with the fact that maybe he could be a father and actually have a normal life to a degree. Um, I think that stuff's you know that's all there. And if you don't want to look at that and you want to just be like, oh, they they made Spider Man black, then you know that's yeah. because you're just not paying attention. <laughs> could, you, could you imagine and... <laughs> just boiling it all down, like missing out on this great experience? Yes, we're biased. Because you're like, they made Spider-Man black. Like, not being able to get past that part. Yeah, it's just like, holy shit. Like, you just, like, you miss such such like, witty writing, such great characters. Like, you know, just for such a simple boiling down of what this film is. And and it's just, I mean, it's obviously ignorant. And it, it's, it's sad. You know, like you said, they missed out on it. They're missing out on something great. Um, that again has something for everybody. I I never felt like, man, I can't relate to this film because I'm white. I never felt like that. Like never, not once. Like it, it never, never occurred to me. It just, you know, to to even go in with that mindset is just. If you it's wrong. relate to Spider Man, you can relate to to this film because it is about outsiders, 
and that's yeah that's yep. how you relate to spider-man that's i wasn't sure if i'd be able to fit it in but i'm glad i could my favorite moment from the andrew garfield uh spider-man franchise all two of them um is when he <laughs> in the first movie where he's uh saving the father and son from the car that's about to fall off the bridge and he's holding the car with the web and he's telling the kid to climb up and the kid's like i can't do it like i'm not gonna make it and he takes off his own mask and drops it to the kid he says put on the oh, oh god okay we're going tears to <laughs> he says put on the mask oh it'll make you strong because that's what peter is you know he can lift the fucking car but at the end of the day he is still just the same insecure person that's trying to find navigate his way through life just like the rest of us are and you know yeah. no matter what we all have to find that thing that makes us strong. We all have to find whatever makes us Spider-Man. Um, one thing that you brought up that uh, it it kind of kickstarted a thought in me was you know you were talking about uh how Peter of the Ultimate World had all of this great tech that he left behind, and you know we talked about Miles's expectations. Uh, academically and in his personal life, but we didn't really talk about how Miles is held to this expectation as Spider-Man. Like, he doesn't even have to follow Peter B. Parker. He has to follow, like, the ultimate Spider-Man. And, um... <laughs> yeah, literally. You know, yep. one, once again, this is a Politipop horseshoe. M maybe. Um, but I think you can also look past this and see the idea of the United States, of a world where... Um, you know, a certain class of people have had access to a bunch of stuff, and it's about making sure that those who come after have the same access so that way we can all prosper in a, in a similar fashion. Um, you know, and I think that that is also a part of, of Miles' narrative, um, if, if you do I like look that. For it. I like that. I mean, I think that's actually, for me, that's my favorite scene in the whole film is when he finally decides to... Uh, get rid of his costumes, his his Spider-Man costume that he got from Stan Lee, and and he gets like his real, co you know, the real costume from the Ultimate Spider-Man, and he graffitis it, right? He colors it the way he wants it to. He designs it himself. Um, he makes it him, and then you know embraces being Spider-Man, and it's such a a beautifully you know rendered scene. Uh, you know, it's very emotional, really fun to watch, and it kind of just really says, you know, this this is this is Miles Morales Spider-Man. This is this is, a, you know, what Spider-Man is right now. And I, I think it, that's such a great, great moment. And there's so many moments before that scene, too, that really show that he is his own version. Like, I'm, I'm sure, you know, we've seen so many different iterations of Spider-Man do so many different things at this point. But, like, to see him just running in the street while webbing up a subway car and, you know, using the buildings yeah. for leverage and hopping over trucks. Like, like he, he is a man of the people, just like he said at the beginning. That's where he wants to be. He wants to be with his people. And... Um, and he epitomizes that as uh, as Spider Man as well as Miles. Yeah, I mean, he even has his own unique abilities, so he really is uh, very different. Yes, turning um, invisible and the Venom Strike. And the Venom Strike, yeah. Which uh, this we didn't bring up. <laughs> no, I mean it's not super important, but you know it. Tell that's that not what it took game. to win. It's not what it took to win, <laughs> you know, to save the day, but. Um, it did help occasionally. <laughs> well, I mean, it kind, uh, Phil... of, it kind of did because he was yeah, able to it use it. Uh, like, basi basically, it was an idea, the idea of what can you use? You know, it's it's um, it's Daniel Son's crane kick. You know, it was his his venom sting is Miles's power. And he was able to go, 
hey, you know, also and bring in. Yeah, in yeah. Thing. But I think, you know, for all the spider people that he was with, we're putting all this pressure on him. Can you do the Venom sting? Can you do the, the invisibility? Or you can't do it on command, then you can't be Spider-Man. But I think his, he came to the realization, he proved to them that, you know, that's not what made him Spider-Man. It was his own, you know, courage and confidence in being who he is that allowed him to be Spider-Man, which then allowed him to use those abilities. And also that came from, uh, and you brought it up probably 20, 30 minutes ago by this point, I don't know, time is a construct, but talking about the speech that his father gave to him uh, through the door, and that was another yeah. great moment, you know, where he says, you know, I, I've been I've been pushing you because I see this spark in you, and he decides that maybe it's not up to him to push where Miles uh, uses that spark but just to cultivate it wherever wherever it is you know and and try yep. and try and encourage him that way and um there's great man there's so many great yeah. themes of uh, you know there there is some race stuff but there's a lot of generational stuff right and a lot of spider stuff which i just oh yeah i just fucking love man that's that's that character. I mean, there's references to like everything. They have the Spider-Man oh, yeah. three like finger guns. They talk about the Spider-Man popsicle, the theme song. I mean, the, the Spider- upside down kiss. Spider-Man like. <laughs> two um, subway car and uh, cafe yep. car. A lot of. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. There's there's so yeah. many Spider-Man references. They even had uh, beginning of the film the famous phrase "With great power comes great responsibility" was said by. Cliff Robertson, who played Uncle Ben in the original trilogy, um, he passed away. Oh. So they used they used archive footage, which I think That's is freaking awesome. Remember that, Pete. Yeah, remember that. <laughs> yep. yep. There's some great trivia on IMDb. Um, there's like a couple things I wanted to share. One was Phil Lord and Christopher Miller had a goal for the movie: inspire young people to become heroes, inspire grown-ups to help them do it. Remind us all that you don't need to be bitten by a radioactive spider to do your part. You are powerful, and we are counting on you, which I think really supports what you kind of brought up a little while ago, um, and that was what they were going for. So that's, Shit, that's kind of awesome. Too. I started. Mm. I started laying okay. out the book today, so. That's okay. <laughs> Guys, don't worry. When our combo comes out, it's going to blow your fucking mind. Sorry. So. By that point, there will be so much stuff like it. But <laughs> uh, it's okay. We'll, we'll have it. It'll be ours, baby. Um, <laughs> it's us. The film, the film required up to 180 animators. I think 177 specifically. The largest crew ever used by Sony Pictures Animation for a film. So they were wow. they were really going for a comic book look with the film specifically. They wanted you to be able to pause it and make it look like there were lines from a comic book on it. Um, they went so so far as if you pause any time a train goes by, all the animators wanted to animate Stan Lee, so he's in every single train. Get the hell out of here! I'm gonna have to look. For yeah, that that's isn't awesome. that wild? <laughs> oh, that's so good. Um, yeah, and this was Stan Lee's final voice cameo. Uh, he. You know, died shortly before the film actually was released, um, and you know, he, luckily he was in it. But the film was originally only dedicated to Steve Ditko, but they wound up dedicating it to both um, as the creators of Spider-Man. I'm not sure that these will make it into the episode, but do you have any favorite Spider-Man moments? Um, I don't know if I have a very like specific one. I, I, you know, I always like the Spider-Man no more, and then him coming to terms with it. I just, I've always loved Spider-Man. Uh, being that struggling hero to to find a balance, a work-life balance, I guess, right? To to be there for his loved ones, to to also you know save the day. And you know, I'm I'm a child of the '90s, and I grew up reading that Spider-Man and Mary Jane stuff where they were married, and she really 
um, you know, was was his wife, and she was always worried about him. I recently reread Maximum Carnage, and it doesn't hold up as well as I remembered. But a lot of 90s you know, books the, don't. <laughs> but I will say they had a really great theme in it. It was it was Peter constantly feeling like you know he was a failure, he couldn't do it, and coming to terms with the fact that you know he wasn't that he you know he the fact that he keeps trying is what makes him a hero and makes him different than somebody else, even if it does hurt you know, himself in the end or his loved ones. And Mary Jane comes to the realization that she can't expect Peter to sit back and do nothing when he has that power, right? He has that responsibility. Um, and I always thought that was great. And, you know, I just I just enjoy when Peter uh, is, is in that struggle, I guess, because it makes him feel real. Um, and I really enjoyed the ultimate runs. So I loved all the movies. I, I just love Spider-Man. I think he's, he's great. And I, I know your favorite moment, but I'm sure you would like to bring it up. <laughs> Actually... It's one of two. I mean, they're both my favorite moments. I'm pretty sure I told you, though. Which one do you think it is? Um, the one where he's stuck underneath the... Stuck underneath. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, that's... Uh, yeah, he's... ASM, I think it's 33. Spider-Man No More is 35. Yeah, okay. so. so yep. After that, two issues after that, he was like, fuck this. But yeah, he uh, <laughs> he's trying to find a special isotope to, to help save Aunt May because her blood is radioactive after getting um, a, a transfusion from Peter. Uh, so of course he is about to lose another relative because of his own because of his own fault. Uh, so he, you know, in his quest to find this isotope, he is covered in a bunch of machinery in an underwater base, and uh, he cannot possibly lift uh, any. And they make it a point in the book to show just how how much like fighting he did before he got to this point that he is exhausted. Old school Marvel is so so vivid with their narratives and um yeah or i should say stan is and um and uh he's he's just lifting it and he's thinking oh aunt may is gonna die because of me and you know uncle ben died because of me and i can't be responsible for it again and he's able to push himself to lift up all this machinery if you've seen spider-man homecoming they reenact it after the vulture fucks his ass up while he's wearing the uh, the sweatshirt costume but yeah there's that one and the other one where he gets his neck broken uh but soon realizes that he was hypnotized to believe his neck was right. broken and uh, that he he literally had to will himself to walk again. Like, he just refused to accept the conditions that were presented to him. And he was like, no, like, I get back up. This is what I do. I'm Spider-Man. It is what he does. I mean, that's that's great. I mean, my, my favorite moment from the movie is when he holds the train with his webbing. Uh, and, like, it, like, his suit's tearing. And then he falls back and the whole train kind of catches him. And... You know, his mask is off, and they all conceal his identity, and, and I think that was Spider-Man 2, and it's, it's such a cool moment, and it kind of really, I thought, was such a great representation of what makes him Spider-Man. I am totally re-watching these movies now. I know, right? <laughs> I, I was just going back to some of my favorite Mar uh, MCU stuff, as well as a few stuff that had uh, things from WandaVision, just so, you know, yeah. so my wife could maybe take a look if she's, you know, uh, TikToking nearby or something. Nice. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, the thing I want to close out on, uh, is that 
was what you said about uh, Lord and Miller when they said they wanted to inspire the next generation to be heroes. And I think that's so important. And it's something that people don't realize. Like, guess what? We've been raised to be heroes since forever. So don't be fucking surprised when we take to the streets to protest what we don't think is right. You know, we were raised on fucking Hunger Games, Harry Potter, uh, a variety of different comic books. Like every yeah. step of the way, it has all the narrative has always been speak truth to power. Um, oh, by the way, in the video game at one point, um, I feel weird about it because part of the narrative is that like all the side missions, some of them are uh, escaped convicts who are like doing these like crimes and shit. And I'm like, ah, this is mm. kind of weird. But at one point while Miles is beating the shit out of these guys, he goes, uh, can't you guys, um, can't you guys just rob some corrupt landlords instead of robbing actual like people? Nice. I was like, holy shit. Like they, they fit a lot of stuff into, into the, that's game cool. That, uh, that's like really, you know, either woke or relevant or both. And, uh, and I, I enjoy it. That's awesome. Uh, yeah. And I think while we're mentioning, you know, diversity and, and being a, a voice of change, remember those, uh, the camps are still open and there's still migrant children being held, uh, in really shitty conditions, as of as of right now so uh don't let your voice be unheard you know let's let's get them out of there let's keep fighting for change and and doing the right thing around here what can we do can we like uh can we call our our like local representatives and be like hey can you get the president's ear and be like hey stop yeah i mean i think that's probably that's probably one way but there's i know there's a lot of law teams and stuff that are working to to free them so you can donate to them um, you know, they're, they're obviously doing it pro bono and stuff. And, uh, I mean, anything, you know, you can protest, you can call your representative. I think, you know, just, just trying to make it knowing that you're not going to stand for that and don't fucking let Joe Biden do it. Right. He just opened a new camp, uh, this week. So, um, or sorry, the, uh, last week, concentration camp, not but, one of the good ones either. <laughs> no, he opened another overflow facility for, for migrant children so you know whether you voted for him or or not don't be afraid to hold him accountable too uh, let's not let's not fucking let him walk all over us with this stuff let's make sure you know everybody um knows what's the right thing to do so yeah don't let him be a fucking turtle slapper or a pony soldier <laughs> a turtle slapper uh no but guys he is continuing to jail children and hopefully on a karmic level we will meet our reckoning for this because yeah. You know, the bad guys can't keep getting away. <laughs> um, Hopefully not. Otherwise, maybe the bad guys were always won. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, you don't know. Um, but what you do know, Ty, is what movie we will be reviewing or reading between the lines of next week. What movie is that going to be? We will be reviewing Fast Color. That's right. Fast Color. Three generations of black women with superpowers. I'm going to leave it at that because that's... All I really know about the movie, uh, <laughs> but, uh, but but yeah, uh, we're gonna be reviewing that next week. Um, this one actually might be more trauma than triumph, also. But uh, but hey, just fun black stories. We're going. For I've it. never seen it, so I'm excited. Yes, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm excited too. I haven't seen it either. But uh, uh, Mark Bernardin on the Fat Man Beyond podcast uh, talks quite a. He, he always has like takes on things that you normally wouldn't hear about. And you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. That's nice. Um, but uh, that being said, thank you so much for tuning in, everybody, for the Politipop podcast. I have been... No, 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 no. Okay, let's do this one last time. For the Politipop podcast, I've been Ty. And uh, I've been Mike Booch. 
That was all I got. Oh, damn it. I just wanted to, I was, I was, I just wanted to say it. So. Like, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> hold on a sec. Now, all right, you've inspired me, and this is your fault. All right, let's do this one last time. My name is Mike Booch. For a while, I thought I was the only host of the Politipop podcast. Then Ty came along. And we read between the lines of movies and stuff together. We save the city, play Xbox. But whenever we feel alone, we know that our zero Patreon subscribers and a couple hundred listeners are fighting the keyboard war with us. Anyone can record a podcast. You can record a podcast. If you didn't know that before, you do now. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Remember, no matter what you're watching, what you're reading, what you're listening to, taking in, never stop thinking, never stop learning, and uh, always remember to be your own hero and to read between the lines. And scene. That is a scene.